0: And speaking of transition, we are going back to the book of Philippians this morning. And Philippians has been a wonderful book. We're coming to the end of it. And we're dealing with the subject of restoration. And for those of you that are just coming in new on this subject, restoration is that of making new again. And uh, it's like a renovation of your home, uh, making it uh, new or giving it new excitement, new vigor. And to restore means to bring it to an earlier condition uh, through repairing, through remodeling and to impart this new vigor to revive something, an object or revive uh, a situation. And as we go through restoration, whether it be in our homes or our own lives, God wants to do a work within each one of us, in our marriages, in our family. And the book of Philippians is one that um, emphasizes the importance of restoration, especially as Paul writes to the church in Philippi and he encourages them. And through that process, you and I have hopefully picked up a great deal. Now, if you have not, one of the key sentences and one of the key scriptures in the text being the first chapter of Philippians in the sixth verse, being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So if you're not happy with the way you are, if you're not happy with the person that you're sitting next to, or if you're not happy with individuals that um, are a part of your life, be assured that God is doing a work in them. Pray for them, pray for yourself, because the master builder is not through with us yet. Today I'm going to talk about a a subject that the Apostle Paul brings to our attention, and one that uh, we all deal with, and that's the subject of contentment. Contentment. You see, as we look at the subject of contentment, we must realize that contentment can be an endless pursuit We go after what we think will make us happy, only to find out that that didn't work. It hasn't happened. And sometimes we're happier before we start the journey of looking for contentment. Let me give you an example. An airline or an airplane pilot is flying over a lake in Tennessee. The lake is a small lake. He can see it as he flies over the mountains of Tennessee. And he points something out to his co-pilot. He says to his co-pilot, you see that little lake there? When I was a kid, I used to sit in a rowboat down there in that very lake, fishing. And every time a plane would fly overhead, I'd look up and I would wish that I was flying that plane. Now... I'm looking down, and I wish that I was in a rowboat there fishing. (laughs) Contentment. When we think of this subject, we think about perhaps the lack of contentment that's reflected within our country, here in the United States of America. We see the high rate of consumer debt. We aren't content necessarily within our means. We aren't content to live within the means that we have, so we go into debt and we want just a little bit better and sometimes more than what we can actually afford. And by then, you can suffer with anxiety because of the fact you have this pressure of paying your bills. It's an endless pursuit. The advertising industry tries to convince you and I, that we cannot possibly be happy unless we buy a particular product. In the process of preparing what I have to say today, I looked at a website dealing with as-seen-on-TV items. They're quite interesting. And a lot of it's just a bunch of junk, but some of it makes you feel like, hey, if I buy this, life's problems are solved. You know, like the 50-foot hose that curls up to six inches when you're not using it. But the first time you use it, it blows apart with all kinds of leaks. If I could just have this piece of equipment, if I could just have this item, oh man, life will be so much greater. I read a story of two teardrops floating down the river of life. One teardrop said to the other, who are you? I'm a teardrop from a girl who loved a man and lost him. By the way, who are you? Well, I'm a teardrop from the girl who got that man. <laughs> Think about it. Contentment. A dollar bill. A dollar bill is something that we are still carrying around. And to most of us, a dollar bill is not worth a whole lot. It just isn't enough. In fact, it is worth much less than what it used to be worth. But you know what? A dollar bill is good enough for a sausage McMuffin. It's good enough for two cans of soda at Walmart's vending machine. As I sat in my car, I noticed 50 cents for a soda. It is good enough for a senior coffee at some places or a cheeseburger. Or if you go to Jack in the Box, you can get two tacos at a Jack in the Box for a dollar. You can get a small Frosty at Wendy's for a dollar. You can get enough gas to go 10 miles for a dollar. We look at history and we can see that... uh, in the 1800s i think uh, a dollar today is um, was worth like $21 it takes that much 21 times what you could buy in the in, in 1907 $1 as i understand could buy a really nice pair of shoes in 1920 a dollar bill could buy 5 pounds of sugar In 1950, one dollar was the price for the controversial Mr. Potato Head, which is now called Potato Head. The Mr. has been taken off. I know there's been great debates about that. I guess some of the Mrs. Potato Heads did not like the Mr. Potato Head. In 1960, a person could buy two tickets to the movies for a dollar. I experienced this myself. In 1966 through 1970, I could stop at the Surf 99 gas station on the corner of National and Kearney Street, and I could buy gasoline for 16 cents a gallon. I could get six gallons of gas plus a clean windshield and my oil checked for one dollar. And in the 1990s, I understand in some places, one dollar would buy a gallon of milk. So a dollar isn't much to most of us today, but we need to stop and think about the fact that we live in a world where over one billion people live on less than a dollar a day. And you know what? Many of them are content. Many of them are happy. Here in the United States, We all live on much more than a dollar a day. And most people feel like, you know what? If I could just collect a little bit more, if I could just have a little more, I would live a life of contentment. Well, today, as we look at the Apostle Paul's writings, he shares a secret with us. A secret that we are going to look at, and that is the secret of being content. Obviously, I think... At least in our country, we have failed to learn that secret of contentment. And today we will hear that secret. Paul's words in his text that we're going to look at today are intentionally practical. Very practical for the church of Philippi and for you and I in our lives. People in this world may not be content, but remember if you belong to Jesus Christ, As I hope that we all do in this room, we are citizens of a different kingdom, citizens of a different place. So, in Philippi, the fourth chapter, verses 10 through 13, join with me as we look at this text. If you have your Bibles, open them up. The scripture says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. At last, you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, You were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I have learned the secret. There it is. Learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, Whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Here the Apostle Paul is sharing the secret of contentment in this text. And I think that for most of us, we love to hear secrets. We love to hear secrets. There's something about knowing a secret that makes us feel super privileged. Hearing a secret where we kind of zip up our mouth. A person can come to us and and, and give us information, and we feel so special because other people don't know that information, and some people cannot keep a secret. You may be married to somebody who can't keep a secret. You may have kids in your family that just blurt out a secret, so you've learned not to share with them. And some people can't keep a secret, and there are people that will come up to you and say, do you want to know a secret? And they'll go on to say, I can only tell you if you promise me this one thing that you won't tell anyone else. So you promise them, they share the secret with you, and then they move on to the next person and tell them the same thing. In 1963, the group called the Beatles were at the height of their popularity. And George Harrison, one of the Beatles, sang his first top song as a soloist. It became number one on the hit list in no time flat. The words to the song, and by the way, I want you to understand that this group was highly criticized for the verbiage in their songs. The thought was that the verbiage was terrible, that it was offensive, and that it was not culturally accepted. This particular song said, Listen, do-da-do. Do you want to know a secret? Do, da, do. Do you promise not to tell? Do, da, do. Let me whisper in your ear. Do, da, do. Say the words you long to hear. Here's the punchline. This is totally unacceptable. I'm in love with you. I'm in love with you. Oh, I've known a secret for a week or two. But nobody knows just we 2 I'm in love with you. Well, you don't go around telling people you're in love with them. I mean, look at the lyrics of the song today. They make this thing look like a nursery rhyme. But the song hit the top because it was, do you want to know a secret? Today, Paul shares some secrets with us. The first secret that Paul shares with us in our text today is that it's important for you and I, as believers and followers of Christ, and he shares the secret number one, to rejoice in God's blessings. You wanna be content? Rejoice in the blessings of God. If you wanna learn the secret of contentment in all circumstances, the first step is to rejoice in God's blessings. Look at the first part of verse number uh, 16. Paul writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I'm going to stop right there. Joy has been a common theme throughout this letter of restoration in the book of uh, Philippians. Paul speaks of joy here again. And this time it's in response to the kindness that has been shown to him by the church in Philippi. And while Paul's in jail, he receives this kindness and Paul says I rejoice greatly. Not that I just rejoice, but he says, I rejoice greatly. And this is actually the first time in this letter, and it's the only time in Paul's letters that he uses the word greatly. I'm rejoicing. And the Philippians' gift of financial support, their gift of sending an individual there to the prison to be Paul's aide, a church member... It's encouraged Paul, it's encouraged his heart, and it's filled him with great joy. It's interesting that Paul is rejoicing not simply because he received money from the church. He's not rejoicing just simply because they sent a helper to be with him, but he's rejoicing in the Lord. He's thanking God. He's giving God the praise. He says here in verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. And I think this gift represents their friendship, their concern for the apostle Paul, their partnership in the gospel with the apostle Paul. And so Paul is so glad to receive this gift and he's so thankful to the Philippian church But he also recognizes that God is ultimately the blessing of his life. That it's in God's hands so he rejoices greatly in the Lord. His first secret, you and I. Let's take time to rejoice greatly in the Lord. Our first step in learning the secret of contentment is to be thankful for what God has done in our lives. Even in the midst of trials, in the midst of forces that could be negative or the things that are going on, stop and rejoice in the Lord. This all starts by acknowledging that everything we have comes from God our work, our school our paycheck, our family, our health, and our experiences, the skills, the opportunities that we have in life. It comes from God, and everything that you and I have comes from God. Rejoice greatly. Now, you may be wondering if you look at this, what verse number 10 means when he says, at last you have renewed your concern for me. You may think, hey, Paul's really hacked off at this church because they've not helped him sooner. and that He may be thinking, hey, finally you sent me something. It's about time. And I remind you that this letter could be a several-year gap that they've had since they helped Paul financially. And I think that Paul realizes that they may take the statement wrong. So he clarifies it. With the, with the rest of them, as he goes on in this in verse, he says, Indeed, you've been concerned, but you've had no opportunity to show it. It describes my life today. I, I, I visited a lady um, this week that I hadn't seen for almost a year, part of this church, because the doors to her facility were finally open. And they were welcoming me to come in to see her. I had to fill out a form, a list. I had to spend time with her. And you know what? She could have very easily said these same words to me. I appreciate you. I know you've been concerned for me, but you have not had the opportunity to express it. And Paul says the same thing. You haven't had the opportunity. Paul's not upset with him. Paul knows that their hearts are with him and and that they have just not had the opportunity to express it. Paul has most likely been shuffled around. Paul most likely has gone from place to place. So from these verses that we look at today, we look at several truths. And the first truth is is that contentment is a byproduct of joy. Contentment is a byproduct of saying, God, we thank you greatly for what you've given. Second secret, be content whatever your circumstances. When we look at verse number 11, we see that Paul writes this. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul wants the Philippian church to know that he really appreciates their gift, but he doesn't want them to get the wrong idea, so he qualifies the statement of joy. He tells them that he's not bringing this up because he is in need, and boy, I suspect he is in need. But that's not the motivation behind what he's saying. He says the, the reason Paul can say all of this is because he has, what does the text say? He's learned. He's learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Christian contentment does not mean that you simply accept whatever circumstances come along in life. You can certainly work to change a bad situation, and you should always seek to improve yourself. And obviously, Paul didn't jump out of bed one morning and say, hey, I'm going to be content now the rest of my life. I am a content person. No, he says twice in the verses, he has learned contentment. Contentment is not natural for us. We are sinful beings discontentment is natural to think maybe negatively of what's going on in our life to think that God's against us or whatever and Paul has learned contentment and that is something that you and I can learn I think many of you here have already taken the most important step in the process of learning contentment and that's recognizing that we don't have it and you may be here today pursuing money. you may be here pursuing possessions. Uh, perhaps you're looking for more power. Maybe God is telling you that you will never uh, have enough because uh, you're always going to be left empty and you know there's more in life. and you may feel like God is telling you that, that you'll never have enough of all of these things, and you'll continue to want more and more and more. God is our contentment. Rejoice, be content whatever the circumstance is. The third secret that he gives us, contentment is not based on our circumstances. Wow, when I read this, this is so important. Um, This is the next secret to learn, that contentment is not based on our circumstances. And please understand, please know That your circumstances are not a reflection of what God feels about you or for you. You may be depressed, and you may think that God's mad at you. You may find a parking place at the front door of the store that you're going to, and you may think, wow, I'm glad I did my devotions today. God's rewarded me. And we get this idea, the idea that the better you are, the more God will bless you physically and mentally, and that's false gospel. If that was true, and that, if that was true gospel, then based on Paul's circumstances, God must have hated Paul. But we know that's not true. In prosperity gospel is a dangerous gospel that's taught all over this world, and millions have gone astray because of it. There are teachings that go by various names and titles. Health and wealth gospel. Word of faith. Name it and claim it gospel. And there's other names that promote this false doctrine. God rewards your faith, and and, and it will increase your health and your wealth on this side of eternity. And your circumstances, please understand, are not a reflection of God's happiness with you or with me. Your contentment cannot be anchored in your circumstances. Instead, our contentment must be anchored in Jesus Christ because supernatural contentment only comes from Christ. We continue on and we must understand that contentment doesn't come naturally to any of us. And this is why Paul says that it's something, again, that we need to learn. It's a wonderful secret that Paul shares with us today. But the truth of the matter is, is that many are not ready for this secret Because it takes time for restoration, spiritual restoration. It takes time for maturity. It takes time for wisdom to come to the place where we can say with the Apostle Paul, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So we have secret number one, to rejoice in God. Be content whatever circumstances. Contentment is not based on circumstances. Then the final secret that Paul shares with us today. It's found in verse number 13. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Powerful text. This is one of the most popular scriptures that you'll find in the Bible. It's in the the top 10. You can read this scripture on posters. You can read it on t-shirts. You can see it on the Walls of locker rooms. You can see it printed on the walls at Christian timeshare sales centers. It ranks in the top 10, folks, as the favorite Bible verses. And it should be. This is an outstanding truth and one that we must often turn to for encouragement and strength in our lives. But unfortunately, it's also one of the most misapplied verses that we find in God's word. You find yourself hanging from a cliff with one hand if you're not careful with this verse. Because many people look at this verse apart from what the Apostle Paul is writing and what he wants to say to us this morning, and they misinterpret it to mean, you know, I can do anything I want through him who gives me strength. And if a person wants a new car and they can't afford the payments, they go ahead and they go out and they buy it. And uh, they say, hey, I can do everything through God who gives me strength, through Jesus Christ. They're students that don't study for exams. This is their model. It's on their dorm room wall. Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm going to go in. I can do it all without studying. And preachers, they get hung up on this. Prosperity preachers will quote this verse and tell you, you can do, you can get anything you want because you can do everything and all things through Christ. Who strengthens you? The writing of Paul does not say, I can get anything I want. We are all selfish people, and that attitude will create a nightmare. In our personal world, it's a far better promise in the context that you read it, which simply means no matter what my circumstances, no matter what my trials... I face, no matter how difficult the road is ahead, God will give me strength to make it through. And whether in need or in plenty, whether hungry or well-fed, I can handle everything through Jesus Christ who gives me strength, the Apostle Paul says. Jesus Christ is all I need. He satisfies. This promise is not, That I can do anything I want, but rather I can do everything God calls me to do through him who gives me strength to do it. The secret to contentment is not self-sufficiency, but it's Christ-sufficiency. Leaning upon Jesus Christ, the strength that you and I need, does not come from within, but it comes from without. Jesus Christ is all that we need. And because of our relationship with Jesus, we don't have to ultimately care if life is based upon success, wealth, if it's based on power, because they are ultimately meaningless in the end. But because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, you are able to be content no matter what God places in your path. And sometimes those are difficult days. In today's world of discontentment, It's reflected in the high rate of mobility. Keeping the same address for more than five years is almost uh, something that's never heard of this year. People are moving on. They're moving, looking for a better place, better job, better place to live, to raise a family, and a better place to retire. And granted, sometimes there's reasons and demands that move you on. Our discontentment in our country today rears its head high, high when it comes to divorce rate, Christians and non-Christians. We cannot find happiness in our marriage and so we trade our mates in for a different model only to find the same problems occur. Our lack of contentment is seen in demanding our own rights all the while claiming that we've been victimized. People today are suing one another at an astonishing rate trying to get more money so they can have more things that they can have contentment. If for you, contentment looks like Jesus plus something or anything else, Jesus plus approval of my family and friends, Jesus plus success in my job, Jesus plus a spouse, Jesus plus a new car, Jesus plus attention, if that's you, you're never going to be content. Because it's only through Jesus Christ that we can have contentment and we can be content. Because He lives, you and I live also. The take home today is if Jesus isn't enough for you today, you run the risk of finishing this life and never getting what you want. If all you want is Christ, you can have all of that you need today. He will provide, He satisfies. Do you want to know a secret? Well, Paul has given it to us. And along with that secret, he tells us. He tells us that we must share it with others, the secret of contentment. A song was written by a gentleman called Marty Milliken. Marty Milliken was from northeast uh, Oklahoma. Marty was a fabulous piano player, and he was an evangelist, a singer, along with his family he died at age 42. He died on December 26th, a day after Christmas in 2013. As I said, he was a traveling evangelist. And um, in the year 2012, he took his parents on a ministry trip, a tour of all the places that they used to take him as a kid. He wrote seven albums. But one of the songs that he wrote is a song titled, Oh, my Jesus is all I need. You see, he knew where contentment came from. He said, when I'm tired, when I'm weary on my journey home, when the road is rough, when it's long, I feel so all alone. When my strength is gone and I can't carry on, that's when my Jesus is all that I need. For some of you, those words come to life because it could be Tuesday night, it may be Wednesday. It might have been last week where you felt like your journey was too tough. He goes on to say, when life has let me down and peace cannot be found, when all my hopes and my dreams are scattered on the ground, or when my job and my joy turns to sorrow and there's no hope for tomorrow, that's when Jesus... He is all I need. I've asked that the group would sing these words for us and that today we can understand the words of the Apostle Paul, that we can find contentment in Jesus Christ because he is all, he's all that we need.